Good morning, Unionville Alliance Church family. It's great to be here today, and we want to welcome all of those who have joined us online as well. We thank you, and, and we hope you're enjoying this service. I find, uh, I think the summer is a great time to talk about the parable of the talents, and depending on the translation you read it, it, in our scripture this morning, it talked about bags of gold. Other uh, translations call those talents, and so we'll be looking at that today. But I think it's, it's a good parable to talk about in the summer because it talks about a wealthy landowner going on a journey. And uh, of course, all of us have had experiences, maybe even very recently, about going on vacation. And uh, depending on you know, where you're going and, and what you're planning to do, there's things you prepare. Um, and not just you know, what you're, where you're going, but also what you're leaving behind. And so if you're a homeowner, you might program the lights to come on, on and off to mimic the appearance that someone is at home. We put our valuables carefully out of sight so they can't be seen. Uh, we might involve neighbors to come over and water plants, our gardens. Uh, some people even have a friend or a family member move in and live in their home while they're gone. And uh, the last thing, of course, you do is you lock the door and you maybe set the alarm and you get in the car and as you're rolling down the driveway, if you're anything like me, you stop the car and you get out and you go check the front door one more time to make sure. And if you want a first-hand testimony, you can ask my family because that happens regularly with me. Then, of course, if you have pets, there's things you do to look after the pets while you're gone. If you're a parent of young children and you want to get away and you're leaving your kids behind, well, that's a whole other ball game. There's so many more things that you're planning. Someone to come and look after the kids. Maybe it's grandma is coming. Uh, so then you're getting all the food necessary. You're writing out the schedule, the family commitments, extracurricular activities. The list goes on and on. And then maybe there's a deep cleaning required because grandma's coming to live in your house. So, you know, you want to make it spotless for her. But uh, anyways, there's so many things we do to get ready to go away. And all of these things, activities, they speak to what is important to us or what's valuable to us, um, the things we put energy and thought into uh, maintaining or protecting while we're gone. So it's easy for us to picture what we would do to go away. And so then it's easier to picture this story that Jesus told in Matthew 25. Um, which illustrates the owner going away. And in that time period, wealthy masters did frequently go away on long journeys. And when you consider the time period, um, transportation, modes of travel, it's, uh, it was difficult to predict how long someone would be gone for. Um, even a well-planned trip, you couldn't necessarily anticipate exactly when they were going to return. And so they would delegate control of their belongings and uh, their wealth to maybe a, a trained accountant, or in this case, servants who lived in the home. And uh, this man left talents or bags of gold. Uh, one servant received five, the other servant received two, and the other, the third servant received one, one talent. And they each received the resources according to their ability to put the money to use. 
So of course we have to ask the question, well, what's, what's the value of a talent? And, uh, oh, sorry. And um, now we know that a denarius, it was taught to us earlier in the summer, a denarius was worth one day's wages for a working class laborer. And so while a talent may vary from period to period and from place to place, it's estimated that a talent of gold um, would be anywhere between 6,000 and 10,000 denarii. So if a denarius is one day's wage for an average working person, six to 10,000 represents roughly 20 years wages for a working person. So you can imagine Jesus' listeners who were common people listening to this story. It would have impressed them on the value of money being left behind to the servants. I think even the servant who received one talent, that was, that was significant sum of money. Not to mention the one who received two and the one who received five. And those servants were expected to multiply the money by investing the capital. And so uh, that means they may have entrusted it to the money lenders, um, the money changers who worked in the markets. And those people would have put the money to use, made a profit, and given a significant portion of the profits back to the investor. Or another approach would have just been simply to lend the money uh, and charge interest. And at the time, interest rates were excessive, and so it was completely feasible to double your money. And so in the story, those are the things that the servants, the faithful servants, would have done to increase their master's wealth. And as we read, uh, the two servants did just that. They doubled the money that they were given. But the third servant buried his money in the ground, whether out of fear or out of laziness. And then we see that there were uh, consequences for that. But of course, Jesus wasn't telling this story to give a wealth management seminar or talk about investment schemes. There's a deeper lesson. And so that's why today we're going to look at what was, what is God's treasure uh, what is our responsibility, and how does God equip us to fulfill that responsibility? Now, uh, John Cook was one of the first speakers this summer in our parable series, and he instructed us when we're looking at parables, we need to look for Jesus in the story or for God in the story and look for ourselves. And so the Lord and Master in this story is, represents Christ. And so if we look back a little further into Matthew chapter 24, we would realize that this dialogue took place after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and it falls during the Holy Week leading up to Easter. So when you think about that, Jesus was looking ahead to his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his return to heaven and the time when his ministry then would transfer to his, his followers, they would be left to carry it on. Now, immediately before this conversation, Jesus had been teaching in the, in the temple and debating with the Pharisees. 
After that, his disciples came to him. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What will be the sign of your return and the end of the age? So in that context, Jesus used parables that are recorded in Matthew 24 and 25. And he talked about the importance of preparation for his return, not an exact calculation of the date and time. Because no one can predict using scripture or science uh, the exact timing of Christ's second coming. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36, that only the Father knows the exact timing. But as followers of Christ, we do know some things. We know that Christ has returned to heaven. We know that he's preparing a place for all who believe in him. And we know that he will return to bring us back into his kingdom one day. So then looking at the parable, we need to ask, what is God's treasure? As Jesus was looking ahead to his death and his return to heaven, um, and when the disciples and those who followed would carry on the ministry, the story of the talents um, helps us see what, what was valuable to God. The sum of money in, in the story would have seemed astronomical to the listeners. And then, of course, the corresponding responsibility also was, uh, was significant. So um, we should ask the question, what was remarkably valuable to God or to Christ as he was returning to heaven? What important thing was he leaving behind? Well, I believe Romans 5, verses 4 to 8, or 5 to 8, uh, give us a picture for we know how dearly, I'm going to turn over here and read it. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us while we were sinners. It gives us a picture of what matters to God, what's valuable to God. And another insight into his heart or his treasure can be found in the parable that comes immediately after this one in Matthew 25, talking about his concern for the lost and the poor and the needy. Says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality 
or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. So we can see that God's treasure is all of humanity. He sent his son to die, to purchase our salvation. He's concerned about the lost and the poor, the needy and the neglected. So then we say, what's our responsibility? In light of God's treasure and the value he places on humanity, he gives a responsibility to those who believe in Christ. And first and foremost, I would say, uh, is the command he gave in the Great Commission, his, uh, his concern for the salvation of the lost. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So going and making disciples of all nations, I feel like that's our first priority. God's love and salvation are for everyone, and we're supposed to carry that message forward. And then to illustrate further our responsibility, there's three parables in the chapter 25 of Matthew, and we're only focusing on one of them today, but all three of them together, they talk about uh, what it means to be spiritually vigilant and how to live until Christ returns. They teach us about the necessity of using what God has entrusted to us and using the waiting time well. Um, author G. Campbell Morgan writes in his book, The Gospel According to Matthew. He says, believers are responsible for the master's work. He has committed to us his goods, which are the things he would have us represent to the world. He has committed to us the things of his kingdom, which include his revelation of God and man his provision for our greatest need, which is salvation, his ongoing call on our lives, and his concern for paralyzed souls. God gives us time, abilities, and resources, and he expects us to invest those wisely until Christ returns. So how does he equip us to fulfill our responsibility? I'm so thankful. God does not give us a responsibility or a job to do without equipping us to do it. And so in the parable, the master knew the servants. In verse 15, it says that he divided up the talents between the three individuals based on their abilities. And similarly, God has given each believer spiritual gifts and these gifts are tailored to each one of us. Now, I am not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm grateful for the books I had available to me as I was preparing for today. And so we see in Greek, the word for gifts is charismata. 
And that comes from the same root word as the word grace, which is charis. And so spiritual gifts are graciously given or freely bestowed by God. I like um, the layman's Bible commentaries defines spiritual gifts in this way. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural abilities. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by God after a person has become a Christian. The Spirit of God infuses natural skill with a new spiritual dynamic to empower the person to be productive in the work of Christ. As each believer identifies and begins to use his or her spiritual gifts, the church grows stronger. I'll just repeat that one line. The Spirit of God infuses natural skill with a new spiritual dynamic to empower the person to be productive in the work of Christ. That's powerful, and it involves all of us. There are a number of places in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. And we won't look at all of them. We'll just look at three. And there's, the different lists aren't identical in each place that we find them. And they're not exhaustive, but rather illustrative. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it helps us see. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or speak in tongues, while another person is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, he alone decides which gift each person should have. He alone decides, and he tailors it to each of us. And further down in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about other gifts, the gifts of those who are apostles, the gifts of prophets, those who are gifted as teachers, the gift of helping others, the gift of leadership, and depending on the translation, leadership might be guidance, or it might use the word administration. Romans 12, verse 4 to 8, also gives us another picture. And we've, we've heard the analogy of the body of Christ and the different parts of the body. We'll just read this one section that elaborates further. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. 
If your gift is to encourage each other, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So various gifts mentioned there. And the book of Ephesians has a similar list. And finally, 1 Peter 4 speaks, uh, names a couple more gifts that we haven't touched on yet. The gift of offering hospitality. And I know some people in this congregation with a definite gift for hospitality. And the gifts of helping others. The topic of spiritual gifts is extensive, and I think it could be a sermon series all by itself. And so, obviously, we don't have time to go really in-depth in the topic today. But from the First um, Peter scripture, I would like to uh, just emphasize a couple phrases. And unfortunately, it's not highlighted there as I had hoped. But um, the phrase that says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. And then down near the end, it says, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Do it with the energy and strength that God supplies. And then what you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. So God is completely involved in giving, in the using, the empowering of gifts and specific gifts and places of service or the activities we do may vary, but they all have their best effect when they are used to build up the body of Christ, which is the church. So now I'd like to invite uh, some audience participation. And so if, uh, if you have your phone with you today or a tablet, uh, you can either type in the, uh, the site uachome.org slash quiz or the QR code also can be scanned using your phones. And we'll have a little quiz. So again, if you're typing it in, it's uachome.org slash quiz. And I promise you it's not difficult. It's actually only one question. There's no speed involved. I'm not quizzing you on how many, you know, gifts have I mentioned in the last three minutes. Uh, it's just one question. And the question is, name some ministries at Unionville Alliance Church where people can volunteer their skills to serve each other and reach out to our community. And so I can see you're already, you're already busy answering. You can put into, uh, I think, up to three responses. Name some ministries at Unionville Alliance Church where people can volunteer their gifts to serve each other and to reach out to our community. And if you're a visitor, if you're watching online, if you don't attend Unionville Alliance Church, you can do this quiz as well because I guarantee you every church you've ever attended has some of the same ministries that happen. I'll give you a couple easy ones, like a nursery, like a music ministry, greeters at the front door. So those are three quick answers. 
And then at Unionville, we have some special names we give to our ministries. So let's just see what some of our answers are. And the, the larger the words get on the screen means the more people gave the same answer. So I see right there in the middle, Master's Pantry, how we reach out to our community, providing food for those who don't have the resources and need extra help. I see hospitality. I see greeting. I see youth ministry, prayer ministry. I see a tech team or tech ministry, and I'm grateful for the folks supporting us with that this morning. Prayer ministry, teaching. Boy, it's moving so fast. Thanks for your, for your cooperation and your involvement. It's great. Sunday school. What are some others? Music ministry, pastoral care. Summer camps, of course, are, are top of mind right now. Um, youth ministry. Operation Christmas Child. That's one uh, I had forgotten about. There's coffee women's ministry, prayer walks, encouragement, hospitality. I went on the church website this week and I was looking for as many ministries as I could find. I found 33 and I'm sure that's not all. In fact, there's a couple up there that I didn't necessarily find on the website. Um, and I'm sure our staff and volunteers uh, would come up with more than 33. So thank you for participating. Wow, 335 responses. Thanks for being involved. And, and we can leave that on the screen for, for another moment or two so we can continue to take that in. So God creates a unique place in the body for every believer. The gifts and ministries, they may overlap, but each believer has a specialized, God-designed role. And one of the exciting parts of following Christ involves discovering what your service contribution is and then making it available to God. So as we think about those things, let's go back to our parable about the talents or the bags of gold. What was the result for the servants? What happened when the master returned? I'd like to get the bad news out of the way first. The third servant, he acted potentially out of fear of the master or maybe laziness, but his words to the master reveal a self-centered character. He made excuses rather than realizing that his responsibility was to serve the master to the best of his ability. So his refusal to serve reveals a lack of love for the master or little desire to even try to accomplish anything for his master. The other two servants who received the five talents and the two talents, they each received the same reward or the same commendation from the master. They each presented two different amounts of money and that was not the focus. There was no prize for the most money at the end of the day. Because the reward was not based on the result, but rather on faithfulness. And what did the master say to them? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. So now we'll just switch back over to our regular slides. They were each given 
different resources based on their abilities. The master knew their abilities and their ability to put it to use. God has given each one of us a different gift, a specialized God-designed role for each of us. So what is God's treasure? We would see in the verses we've read, his treasure is humankind. The lost, those who don't yet know his love, the poor, the needy, the neglected. What is our responsibility? The Great Commission, taking his message of salvation to a world who don't yet know him. Wisely using what God has entrusted to us until Christ returns. And using our spiritual gifts to serve others. In a way, it's not three separate responsibilities because they all go together. They all, they all link. I'd like to tell you a little story about an Alliance missionary named Mabel Francis. Mabel was 15 years old and already a school teacher, uh, teaching in a rural community in New Hampshire, when God told her to share his love, the news of his love, with those in the community. So she opened up the school on Sundays and started preaching at the age of 15. Later, she received missionary training, and she went to Japan in 1909. At first, she was treated with suspicion and fear. Who's this American woman moving into our community? Why is she inviting me over for tea? They were polite, but kept her at arm's length. But over time, her perseverance and love won out. She would travel around to different cities by bicycle. And she would rent a room, whether it be in a hotel or a, I don't know, in 1909, if it was formal hotels or, or boarding houses. But she would go for a few days. She would move around by bicycle. And then she would hold evangelistic meetings. She would put out flyers and invite people, and she would hold meetings in, in a room within the, the place she was staying. And over and over, people came to a saving faith in Christ through her preaching. Later, her brother joined her in Japan, and between the two of them, they, they established 20 churches. But then came the Great Depression, and Mabel was urged to return to the United States because the Christian and Missionary Alliance was terminating the work in Japan due to lack of funds. Now, her calling to Japan was so intense that she couldn't bring herself to pack her suitcase to come home. She would try, she'd get a couple items in her suitcase, and she'd sit down on her bed in tears, and she would pray because she couldn't bring herself to leave. So after considerable prayer, she decided to stay as an independent worker. And though she didn't have the backing of the, the mission any longer, she was going to stay and trust God to provide for her and enable her to continue working, which of course he did. And that was preparation again for the Second World War. Again, she was warned, leave Japan. Her friends wrote her urgently, come home while you still can. But um, Mabel, and by this time her sister Anne was with her. They were both ministering in Japan. And they prayed again. 
and look to God for his direction and his promises. And they had a deep sense that now was not the time to leave. Now was the time to stand. This was why he had brought them to Japan, to show his love to the people. It felt wrong for her to abandon the people she loved. And so she wrote in a book later, to serve God was primary. Whether we lived or died was secondary. Now, as an American, she ended up being placed under house arrest for 12 months. And then later, she was moved to an internment camp for three years. And the conditions, as you can imagine, and the food supply, it, it deteriorated continually and got really bleak. But even still, Mabel continued to pray and encourage those around her and share the love of Christ during that time. At the end of the war, Mabel was 64 years old. But for her, it was not the time to retire. In fact, she entered into the most productive years of ministry yet. The internment camp where she was uh, held was in Tokyo. And after the war, there was no means to travel to other towns and villages or to return to the city where she had been ministering. The, the transportation just wasn't wasn't available, so she stayed in Tokyo for a period of time, uh, holding evangelistic meetings, and then later she moved to Hiroshima and other towns, smaller towns in the area, to help rebuild churches and schools in the devastated communities. And hundreds of Japanese people, as well as American servicemen, came to Christ through her ministry. And when she was 81 years old and still not retired, the emperor of Japan conferred on her the highest civilian honor possible. And the reason stated was, for her contribution to the welfare of the Japanese people in their time of distress, and for her long years spent leading hundreds of Japanese to the knowledge and peace of God. She was also the first person to ever receive this award or this honor while still living. Most people, this was conferred on their name after they had passed away. Mabel didn't know the outcome of the war. She didn't know how long she'd be in a camp, an internment camp. She didn't know what would happen to her. She didn't know if the Christian Missionary Alliance would send more missionaries after the war or if the funding would be reinstated to continue to support her to be there. I would say, like the servants with the talents, she didn't know what lies ahead. But she remained faithful and did what God gave her to do. She was so committed to communicating the good news of Christ, that she wasn't letting the Great Depression or the Second World War get in her way. I would say her spiritual gifts were evangelism and preaching and faith. Your gifts are unique to you. And God may not call you to live through the same extreme circumstances that Mabel Francis endured. Some of us may feel like, well, my gifts are pretty insignificant when it's held up next to a story like that. 
But don't dismiss the small deeds because you think they're not important or they're too simple, like working in the nursery or cleaning up after the church barbecue or greeting people at the front door. God sees these things as valuable moments of showing his love and grace to people. Not everyone has the same gift, and there's no gift is better than another. They are given to each of us as a means of helping one another and in helping the entire church. All of our gifts are needed. And so I'm going to give a little commercial here. Um, and the pastoral staff, I'll invite the worship team to come back. Uh, as we saw in the video, Daniel didn't ask me to mention it, and I'm, I'm actually probably repeating what he said in his message, but September is coming, and our ministries will get rolling again after a summer pause. And I'm sure that every pastor, every ministry lead needs more volunteers to fulfill the mandate of the ministries, of building up the body within the church, of reaching our community and people who haven't heard the message yet. Alpha, um, helping others come to a knowledge of Christ. So now is a great time to ask yourself, what are my gifts? Where can I help? But even outside of this building and this church specifically, Think of your own life at home every day in your workplace. Be energetic about the little moments in your ordinary day. Offering a drink to someone is a simple gesture of care and concern. And a lot of similar little gestures add up to a much bigger story. God has changed your life. God has changed my life. And he's turning our natural selfishness into generosity and compassion. So what's our vision at Unionville Alliance Church? Touching our world through Jesus Christ, one life at a time. Let's try our best to do that because it's our responsibility. Thank you.